Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this time by Squarespace. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jason. It's good to be back. I uh, was on vacation for the last couple of weeks, and uh, space stuff yeah. kept happening while I was gone. It's really unkind of them to keep doing <laughs> things without me, but they did. <laughs> I'm glad you got some time off. Thank you. Uh, the, the pictures that I saw looked amazing. That's great. Hawaii is uh, definitely on my wife and I's short list good, for good time. Maybe our next trip. Yeah, it's uh, with no kids. I recommend it highly. But you're back. We got to talk about space stuff. Let's uh, let's get into Hubble. Let's start there. Okay. Yes. When last we we spoke, there was uh, some drama about uh, Hubble. Hubble had uh, shut down because of uh, computer problems. So what's going on with that? Tell me, get me up to speed. I, I don't know. I honestly don't actually know what's going on with that. Let me know. Well, this is like breaking news because today they uh, they announced uh, some good news. We'll get to that. But as a little bit of a reminder, Hubble's payload computer has been down for uh, several weeks. One theory was that it was a power issue because they were having problems with various components that didn't make sense unless it was some sort of central problem. The power control unit is one thing we talked about. It's supposed to provide steady power for the payload computer at 5 volts, but if the voltage falls below that or exceeds levels that are deemed safe, things are supposed to shut down to protect the computer and the instruments. Basically, a surge protector in space is what we're saying. Nice. Uh, It's unknown. If it's this power control unit or the circuitry that failed, we'll probably never know. But on July 15th, so yesterday as we're recording this, NASA began to switch the spacecraft to its backup hardware. And uh, today, July 16th, NASA announced that that switchover was successful. They said it may take several days to know if it was successful or not, but they seem to get good news uh, back pretty quickly from Hubble. So they brought up the backup power control unit, Mm -hmm. the backup command unit science data formatter, which we talked about as kind of being the uh, that and the data handling uh, command center. Like those two things are kind of responsible for taking the raw data off of the instruments and encoding it in a way that can be sent back to Earth. And so there are these two components that sit uh, between the instruments and scientists on the ground. So they brought that up. They they told the other instruments, hey, you need to now be transferring data on the uh, backup interfaces to the backup computer. And then they brought up the backup computer again for the first time on orbit that they've never needed this uh, in Hubble's lifetime. But it seems like all of that went really well. And so now the team is monitoring the hardware, making sure that everything continues to work properly. They also have to recover the instruments out of their safe mode configuration. So when all this happened, the instruments themselves were, were placed into a safe mode so they would be uh, protected from any any systematic issues. They've got to boot all those back up. That's probably going to take over the weekend, it sounds like. And then hopefully next week they'll be able to do some calibration of the instruments, do some more testing of the systems, and then hopefully resume normal science operations later this month, which is really exciting. I know we and basically everybody else watching this story were really afraid that this was going to be something that wasn't fixable. But so far, so good in terms of bringing things over to the backup secondary system. This is why you have secondary systems. 
Yeah, exactly. The um, it, it's it's great to see that this happened. Thank you for letting me know what's going on with it. I keep thinking about what that job is like to maintain old hardware via remote control. That's a one-off system that doesn't exist anywhere else. And knowing the ins and outs and quirks. And I bet if you talk to somebody who was involved in the, you know, Hubble computer maintenance group, right? Like there are probably all sorts of just terrifying steps that we don't even understand that are quirks of the hardware. And they have people who spend a big part of their career just maintaining this piece of hardware. It's I, I'm always fascinated by that, right? Like the people who know how the Voyager computers work and stuff like, you know, this stuff goes out there and then you're doing IT support from millions of miles away or or less in the case of Hubble, but from far away. And uh, and these systems are not like your standard PC that you can find mm-hmm. yeah. down the at the, I don't know what, Circuit City? Is that a thing? No. It used to be. Best Buy? Is that a thing? I think it might be. They're still around. Okay. Anyway, it, but it's so old that it would have been like from a Circuit City. That's what I'm saying. Ah, okay. <laughs> I don't think NASA strolled into Circuit City for the well, Hubble. That's, that's what I'm saying is you couldn't have done that. They they yeah. instead it's this weird one-off computer that like a very small number of people know how to do all of this stuff with. It's amazing. It's very cool. And I'm glad that it's alive. We spoke about that probably a couple years ago about Voyager, how a lot of people who knew how it all worked weren't there anymore and a lot of the ground stuff had failed, but the the computers on board uh continued, but but yeah, hopefully Hubble has dodged a bullet and has many years of service left. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly would love to see that. For sure. It made me think, so I've been I've been re-watching The West Wing, and I texted you on your vacation about this. I was watching an episode, and the James Webb Space Telescope came up, and they were like, <laughs> yeah, it's costing all this money, and it's going to go to the other side of the moon. It's going to launch in two years. It's like, wow. nah, man, <laughs> just, just wait. <laughs> well, if it had gotten more funding from the Bartlett administration, maybe it would have. Thanks, Jed. All right. Uh, you have put together quite a bit on the uh, International Space Station. I know there's some more uh, ISS parking news, which we, we love following. So what's going we, on? There is so much traffic going on uh, in, involving the ISS. And I wanted to just sort of, we had a bunch of dis- different little disparate stories, and I kind of rolled them all together into the ISS traffic report. Um, I want to start with the Russian multipurpose laboratory module which is, I believe, called NACA uh, for short, but it's it's uh, it's the new Russian module for the ISS. They've been working on it for years. It's actually readying for launch. It's supposed to launch on July 21st. This is a big deal. Eight days later, it will dock at uh, the nadir port of the Zvezda service module at the ISS, so the, it being added to the Russian segment of the ISS. And in fact, uh, cosmonauts are in the process of dumping some old stuff off the ISS in order to make room for it. In particular, um, there is a docking port called Piers that they're, they ha- they did a seven-hour-long spacewalk last month. It was the second spacewalk to disconnect Piers from the space station. They need to disconnect this docking module because it will be replaced by the new multipurpose lab module. So Piers gets 
disassembled or, or like disconnected and it's going to be attached to the Progress 77 cargo ship and then they're going to deorbit those guys and they burn up in the atmosphere and that's the end. And then Naka arrives and then they'll, the cosmonauts will need to do another spacewalk to plug it all in and install everything there. But then they will have a new Russian science module and the ISS will expand even further for the first time in a little while. Um, so that's interesting on its own. I think the Russians haven't had a dedicated science module, so now they're they're going to have their own dedicated science module. There's also, I think, a really interesting piece of hardware on this module, and that is something called the ERA. ERA stands for European Robotic Arm. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, we know that Canada has a big place in the world of uh, robotic arms in space with the Canada arm in various forms. There's also, in addition to the Canada arm on ISS, there is a Japanese remote arm as well. Neither of them have uh, access to stuff on the Russian part of ISS, though. So the European Space Agency built ERA. It's 11 meters, which is about 36 feet long. And it's got some very cool things about it. It will be able to transfer payloads from inside to outside, which should make it a lot easier for astronauts and reduce the amount of setup time involved in spacewalks, which is really great, right? The idea that the astronauts don't have to haul their stuff out there. The, the arm can prep the area by pulling stuff out and placing it where it needs to go. And then the astronauts or cosmonauts can come out and do the work they need to do. Um, we all know that spacewalks are grueling. And if anything to lighten the load of the spacewalking astronauts who have jobs to do on the outside of the ISS is a big deal. So it'll be able to do that. And it's also unique in that it will be able to move around the way they, they call it hand over hand. I was thinking kind of like a, an inchworm or a caterpillar or something, but basically it's got a bunch of fixed base points that it can use on the Russian segment of the ISS so it can move around and reach all the different points. It's this remote controlled uh, thingy out there. Like, I, I just think that's really cool. It's like, it's a robot arm, but it's kind of, it can be attached to different things, um, which makes it super flexible. It's also programmable. It will perform tasks automatically. It can perform tasks semi-automatically. It can be remote controlled from inside the ISS, or it can be remote controlled from Earth. So lots of different options for this thing, too. It sounds like very much uh, cutting-edge next-generation robot arm for the uh, Russian portion of the ISS. So that's all, I think, pretty cool. I look forward to, look forward to see that in action, because I think it's going to be kind of mind-blowing what it's going to be able to do. Uh, something else, else that article mentioned is that there are plans for even more modules on the Russian side. So additional cargo, additional life support system uh, infrastructure. So they, they are continuing to invest in the International Space Station, you know, now, what, 21 years they, in? They got a lot of plans, but I'll point out that this module was in the works for a very long time before reaching this point. So Russian plans are great, but we'll see. Um, what their time frame is. I think it's also been speculated, like, would they take these modules and 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 go home, you know, make their own space station um, mm -hmm. if the ISS is decommissioned? And uh, that's certainly possible. I think that you may end up in a situation whenever the ISS is decommissioned, assuming that it is going to be, because some of these modules are pretty old, um, that the newer modules, like this one, might get repurposed somewhere else instead. Um, oh, I didn't mentioned that the European robotic arm, uh, maybe my favorite thing about it, is that it's also a cherry picker for astronauts. So it'll like 
carry them. It can it can move them around too. You can safely. It's not like you're going to be in the in the claws of the arm. It'll it'll. <laughs> but they can they can go for uh, like go for a ride and and get where they need to go, which is also kind of cool. That is cool. Uh, but that's not all. You mentioned ISS parking news. Nothing more exciting than parking, for my mind. Uh, so. There are only two docking ports, as we've said before, on the U.S. portion of the ISS, those two international docking adapter ports. And as a result, there's a lot of uh, shuttling back and forth. We talked about this before, that there was a crew dragon that had to get moved. The uh, crew one crew dragon had to get moved for the arrival of first, I believe, a cargo transfer and then then crew two. And now Crew 2 has to do that dance where the Crew 2 Crew Dragon Endeavor is going to be relocated next week from the forward port to the other port on. And this is the same thing we've seen before, where basically the crew, the Crew 2 crew is going to get into Endeavor and close up and they're suited up in case they can't dock and there's a problem. They they have to return to Earth. So they all get in there and then they move it from the one port to the other port. And what that does is it frees up the forward port, which is the preferred docking port for um, for I. It seems like for crewed missions that are initially coming to the space station that they want to use the forward port, and so uh, the CST one hundred Starliner. So this is the Boeing Starliner second test flight is scheduled to launch right now, July thirtieth. This is the uncrewed second flight. We talked about it many, many times, how the first flight didn't go that great. And so they wanted a second flight and they want to take it to the ISS and they want to prove all the stuff is working fine and the software is good before they do their crewed flight test later. Anyway, they want the forward docking port for Starliner. So uh, the Crew Dragon will then move to this other port. It's the whole little shuffle that happens there. And there will be a little bit of, of history when this happens, assuming this all happens, because when the Starliner docks with the ISS, you'll have two commercial crew vehicles, two privately built commercial crew vehicles attached to the ISS, which will be a, a interesting thing that the Boeing and SpaceX hardware will both be there at the same time. Just hanging out together. Yeah. Friendly rivals. Yeah. But not really, but kind of. But kind of. And again, it just makes me think that it's those two ports. Like, they ought to have more ports. They, it's like when we complain about computers, that like laptop. It's like a lap, ISS is like a laptop. You know, two ports. What you're saying is the ISS needs a dongle. Well, they would call it a module probably. But yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, wouldn't it be better if there were more uh, international docking adapters? That's really what I'm saying. There are only the two. But there were only the two, so that's it. That's what they got for now. Jason, when you were gone, I went mad with power in the document. Okay. And we are going to have another installment of the space law segment. In space, there are two kinds of things. Law and hydrogen. This is their story, space law segment. If you forgot what it stands for, it's scrutinizing proposals and concisely explaining laws alongside the way space experimentation guidelines manage existing and new technologies. Plunk, plunk. Space law segment, segment, segment. Uh, I call this the old trick of sticking missions with the SLS. <laughs> and oh, nice. Uh, so there was uh, an amendment set forth by... Uh, Congressman Robert Adderholt of Alabama. Alabama, you say? Yeah, weird. What do they build there? Oh, the SLS. Ah. So this came up in the ongoing debate. It's still not final. 
about NASA only awarding SpaceX the initial human landing system contract. And there are those who also want Blue Origin right. and or Dianetics to be in there. NASA said we only had money for one. Give us more money and we'll do two. Congress says you'll do two with the money you have. This is where the sticking point is. But there was an amendment set forth in that debate saying that NASA needs to fund Blue Origin uh, as well as Dianetics, both of them, and then later pick one, but they will have to be required to launch on a future upgraded, not yet real version of the SLS. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, the amendment was withdrawn, so I don't think this is moving forward. But it made me think about the Europa Clipper, which very famously was tied to the SLS in the budget by Congress, so it's law. At the end of last year, the White House asked Congress to set free the Europa Clipper. And earlier this year, NASA said it's only considering commercial launch vehicles now for that mission. And so this was a, a move to not only fund these other programs, but to give the SLS a job, and most notably the upgraded block, I think it was the block 1B, it would be required for this. Uh, so making sure that those components uh, and upgraded versions of the SLS also roll out of the factory. Pretty funny because it's just so straightforward, but a very clear reminder that, you know, a lot of policy stuff at NASA is set by Congress. Yeah. Really. I mean, this is how this is how the government works, right? Which is in the end, the Congress makes the laws and they control the purse strings. And while the executive branch has a lot of latitude, um, it, it's it can't just do whatever they want because of money and because of specific policy objectives that Congress puts in the law. And we've seen it time and again. Uh, and And here it is. Here it is now, and this one particular amendment has been withdrawn. But like the SLS is not going to die easily. The SLS, mm -hmm. you know, there there was talk about funding a you know a Mark II SLS after they do the expedition upper stage, right? Which is like, whoa, wait a second, are they even going to do? That's like step three they're talking about about the SLS now, and it's like step one has still not happened. There is no step two yet. <laughs> <laughs> and you're talking about step three, but th this is the thing: is Congress can do what it wants. So, what it wants, I guess we'll we'll uh, keep watching it, and we'll see. Um, not to make this into an SLS segment, because this is definitely a space law segment. But uh, yeah, some of the laws, or at least the proposed laws, are uh, gonna yeah, they make demands, and uh, NASA NASA has to follow the law, right? I'm glad nobody. Yeah. I'm glad. Oh, not nobody. I'm glad people rarely pass laws specifically about what I do on my job, right? Like, this is, this is what, J it's the law. Jason has to do this thing now. Like, what? I have to do that now? It's like, yeah, Congress passed a law and the president signed it and now it's law that you have to do a thing. Like, I'm glad, I, I'm glad that's not my job. It's like the SLS is like your nephew who can't get a job, so you, like, stick him in your office. That, yeah. <laughs> Give him a job. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty much it. Like, yeah. We're uh, nepotism it's a family and business, science. you know. SLS Junior, he's gonna get, he's gonna be uh, uh, expedition upper stage before long. That'd be great. <laughs> exploration upper stage, yeah. He's gonna he's keep going, at it, little buddy. He's going places, maybe eventually. <laughs> uh, one and a half times, you know. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the over under. Yep. All right, so that's the space law segment. 
not as deep as it sometimes can be, but just a little a little dip little into the space law segment pool. Clunk clunk. You want to tell us, uh, tell us, and I mean, I'm placing myself with the listeners here. I can't wait to hear about our sponsor, Stephen. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. They have everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website with professionally designed templates and -and drag-and-drop tools to customize them. You can change the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, everything with just a few clicks. You also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. They have all the tools you need for SEO and email marketing, and of course, all those websites look great on mobile devices as well. One of my favorite things about Squarespace is if you need to add functionality to a site later, it's really easy. So if you start out without a store or without a blog and that need comes along, You can just add store pages, add blog pages with just a few clicks, and your website has brand new functionality. Head on over to squarespace.com slash liftoff for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code liftoff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com slash liftoff. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Liftoff and all of Relay FM. All right, the big topic. Here it is. CEOs in space. Briefcase emoji, briefcase emoji, rocket emoji. <laughs> Mo- right. Wait, wait, so bag you- of money emoji, mm-hmm. money with wings emoji. <laughs> oh, the money with wings is good. Uh, especially for uh, Virgin Galactic, because they, they have wings. They have the... Mm-hmm. Launching from a plane business. Okay, so when you were on vacation, Virgin founder Sir Richard Branson got aboard Spaceship Two with some crew members. His job was to, quote, evaluate the customer experience, which we'll talk about. They made it to 85 kilometers uh, and came down safely, uh, touching down on their runway. Uh, Virgin Galactic has this big spaceport out in the desert. It's this beautiful building. They have all their facilities there. And uh, this was uh, really a a big step forward in commercial spaceflight. Their goal, at least one of their primary goals, is to sell tickets for this so people can experience this as well. And this is a big step in that direction. There's a lot of debate about them making it to space or not. They made it to 85 kilometers. The Carmen line is 100 kilometers. That's typically the definition of space. Well, I mean, some people's definition the, of space, not NASA's, but some European space yeah. agencies and other people don't really care. And it's, it's yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. It's good enough. I, I don't, yeah. If you're floating, <laughs> I don't think it matters. Well, I mean, yeah, but then the then free fall is is considered like the vomit comet would be considered space and it's not, but I think it's so high up that like, I, I think it, people, let's just say that is a level of pedantry that I think should not be 
um, accepted. Like, well, it's not really high <laughs> enough up now. That's my new character, the space pedant. It's a, you know, you missed it by a few kilometers. I'm sorry, but you know, you it doesn't. Maybe you could be a half astronaut. Like, no, <laughs> it's it's space. It's it's fine. This is uh, a big moment and uh I-, I wanted to know did you end up watching this i know you were away uh, with your family Steven, but it just... happened at three in the morning i did not watch it so no okay okay so i, I did um and at eight in the morning i'll say at eight in the yeah, morning uh-huh. uh central time you know i really couldn't put my finger on it at the time what i thought about their presentation and what they were doing it was really different than what we see SpaceX do. And I think what I've sort of settled on now that I've had several days to think on it is that a SpaceX launch video is kind of just like a spiced up NASA TV program. Like, and NASA's come a long way. Sure. And if you watch their modern stuff, like when, when, uh, they had their, you know, most recent landing on Mars and the helicopter stuff. Like they've they're they've come a long way and they have different people and they're explaining what happens. They have visuals. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that the SpaceX stuff actually made them up their game a little bit, right? They were I think they so. were really sleepy, very much a government TV operation. It was like C SPAN in space, right? And then the <laughs> SpaceX stuff actually had not not exactly like enormous production values, but they had like hosts who were i i called them you know pr people at one point people are like no they actually work at spacex and and they do like it's real spacex employees who are who are pretty polished but not like newscasters and they really did a good job with it and i think that there's somebody within nasa was like why are our videos so boring and and they have made a lot of progress so this presentation by Branson and company was first of all it was hosted by Stephen Colbert as you do sure uh, I mean who hasn't had him announce your trip into space and they had some employees they had uh, one woman who was going to be going on a future mission they had astronaut Chris Hadfield there who by the way like if I look as good as he does at his age then I'm doing okay like Chris Hadfield's a it's all his time real... in space that did it He's preserved right. from space. Yeah, all that, all that space workout. Mm-hmm. But then, like Branson, like rides in, rides in on a bicycle. Turns out that was not the same day, obviously. But it was very polished, very, very much talking about Branson's lifelong goal to go to space. Talking about his mom and how she inspired him. A very different type of thing. And I think that's, I think the SpaceX NASA flavor is just so much more what we're used to even blue origin i think is a step kind of further when you when you watch theirs uh blue origin does this weird thing too where they refer to their rocket as a she which i is just kind of old school but this was like a straight up commercial for virgin galactic and for branson and their brand and i get it he's this flashy billionaire ceo who's had a lot of success in different areas and has has taken this concept of this big winged vehicle and then launching from it, you know, that was a a project that he came uh, into and really poured a bunch of money into. And it's been a long, hard road, right? They've, yeah, they've had accidents. They've had people uh, be killed. Like it's been a, a journey for Virgin Galactic in this. And uh, you know, there's no, I'm not saying don't celebrate that, but it was definitely unlike what we've seen and I think the closest thing I come to is it. it is a commercial for what this company wants to do. Yeah, that's it. It's marketing. 
for sure. And it's marketing for tourism, right? And that that's just, I look at this, okay, so it's space, right? And so we're talking about it because it's space. But I think it's just a completely separate thing. Space tourism, it, it is a commercial, yes, but it's not just that. It's a commercial for a luxury experience, right? So you might as well, I mean, it's not quite the same because nothing is the same as space tourism, but it's like uh, it's like an ad for a private jet or a private island that you can rent out in the South Pacific or something like that, right? Where it costs a lot of money, so only very rich people can afford it, and they will get an amazing life experience out of it. And maybe in this case, as the price comes down, more regular people could be able to afford a life experience like this. It's like, you know, you go mm-hmm. you go a family camp and then you go cruise ship and then you get beach resort and then you get private island and then you get trip to space, right? Like it's this escalating scale. Well, that's fine. And it happens in space. So it's relevant to us in that way. But I would say it's not why I'm interested in space. I'm not interested. I'm interested in space because space, there are we do interesting things in space that potentially could further the human race. Um, this I'm not interested in in luxury experiences for the ultra rich, right? Like, and I again, they can have them. They got the money, great. Um, but I, I any suborbital flight, honestly, I just am not interested in as somebody who's interested in space because. First off, you know, been there, done that. That was the early 60s, right? The suborbital flights. It's great that they've done it. If people want to do it, it's great. I'm not going to I'm not going to come in and say, "No, you didn't really go to space." Like that guy. But I also don't care. Honestly, other than that I thought like the initial uh Dick Rutan, you know, uh shuttlecock kind of like uh, wing design of this thing like that's all interesting from a an aerospace perspective right but the truth is what's it good for and the answer is for people to have that experience right but that's about it i mean i know nasa is spending for some like really brief microgravity kind of experiments and stuff and that's nice and all but like so that's my take on people get really angry about about it also people really sweep like branson and Bezos and Musk into the same bucket with this stuff. Yeah. And and I think that's I think that's also unfair. Like Branson Branson and and I'm not trying to say bad things about Richard Branson. He's a very interesting guy. He's he's done a lot of interesting things. He thinks there's there's space tourism as a big business in the future. Great. Like he's not at even pretending to be interested in furthering human scientific frontiers, right? He's he's interested in making people have this great experience that might make them think differently about our planet and all that. That's fine. But like, he's not interested in beyond that. Bezos, while creating this thing that might be usable for tourism, has his eyes on orbital stuff and on a bigger picture kind of thing. So I'm going to give him a little more slack. And then Elon Musk, yeah, they're going to do some space tourism stuff too. They built the spaceship, right? They get to use it. They get to sell it to people. But like, there's a bigger... There's a bigger goal there, and it is a tool for humanity to use to do new stuff in space. And I'm much more interested in in new stuff and in space than I am allowing uh, a very small number of people to spend some money in order to briefly be in or near, depending on which line you want to honor, 
uh, the the edge of space. So, yeah. So that I mean, those those are my sort of feelings about it. Is it's nice, I guess, but I don't really care, and I don't really consider it. Uh, it's not the part of space that I'm interested in at all. And if you, you know, if you gave me a free ride, would I take it? Maybe. That would be fun as a personal experience, right? But in terms of what I'm interested in, in terms of, of like space, I am much more interested in the science and uh, exploring frontiers and doing new things as a species and not, you know, monetizing tourist experiences. Yeah, I think that's about where I am too. And I think that's representative of a lot of people who follow along with this stuff. Uh, but there's also the angle that, like, yeah, it's for these ultra wealthy people, but you got to start somewhere. And so many modes of travel started this way, right? When trains came, they were at first for the ultra wealthy. And same thing with, you know, crossing the Atlantic on a ship or later an airplane. And so this is kind of how things have to go. And it's just it's just weird in this case because... Something about going to space, like Branson even said it on the things like I've dreamed about this since I was a little boy. And a lot of people have this sort of feeling about going to space that's different than those other things. And so to see it happen is really exciting, but they also at the same time very sort of weird and even a little bit uncomfortable if it's presented in a certain way that's really different than how we're used to seeing space exploration be treated, you know, either by the government or other private companies or even the press. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. Like it's it's marketing for a commercial venture. That's what it is. You know? Yep. That's what it is. And we're gonna have to get used to that because if if you're if you're um marketing detector, for lack of a better phrase that I can say on a podcast, uh is not calibrated for space, get it calibrated, folks, because this is just going to keep happening. Like there's different kinds of space stuff happening. And some of it is, first off, it's not the same. And this is a thing that I feel like journalists, space journalists are really good at this. Obviously there are also people in the sort of more uh, mainstream press who are very bad at this. And like I said, conflate all of this and they put these guys all in the same bucket, what they're doing and what they're doing is very different. And again, not running down Richard Branson. It's like his, but his aims are very specific and that happens to be stuff that I'm not interested in. So yeah, if you, if you are, I mean, space as entertainment is a thing that's going to happen. It's going to happen as popular entertainment too, whether it's Tom Cruise making a movie in space or, or whatever it is, a reality show that happens in space. Like it's going to happen. That's the the more broad space gets, the more there's going to be stuff that maybe isn't the purity that we've come to expect. And that's just how it is going to be. So, so start putting your shields up and being able to detect the difference between a marketing scheme and actual, you know, news about what's happening in space. Cause we're going to have to pick through that ourselves on liftoff. And that's just, that's where we are now. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Uh, Blue Origin is going to be following uh, suit. They are scheduled for their NS-16 launch here in just a few days. Uh, it is scheduled for the 20th of July, early next week. Uh, this is the flight that we spoke last time that Wally Funk had been invited to, which we are very pumped about. It's Jeff Bezos and then his brother. And there was a fourth seat that was won in a in a like an auction. Yeah. 
but uh, we didn't know who it was. And uh, we still don't know who it was, but that winner paid $28 million and they had to reschedule. Yeah, scheduling conflict. Although I saw Eric Berger tweeted about this and said that people had a few theories. One is legitimate. This is an incredibly busy rich person and they had an unschedulable, con- reschedulable con- conflict and so couldn't go to space. Other thoughts were like, maybe they didn't pass the physical and so they had to put it off. Like there, there are some other scenarios that might be at work there. They said it was a scheduling conflict. And it's like, sorry, I got a thing that day. I can't go into space, but so be it. Of that 28 million, uh, 19 million has been donated to nonprofits who work in the space industry and working on getting new people interested, children interested, students interested. There have been 19 nonprofits uh, awarded a million dollars each, and some of it also being uh, managed by Club for the Future, which is Blue Origins nonprofit organization. I think that's great. I think that in addition to getting people excited about this, actually putting money towards giving students and young people a way into this is huge. So I was I was pretty pumped to see that. But you got to have that fourth seat, right? Yep. It's, it's a bummer if you got only three people in a four-person cabin. And so turns out that the second seat for the the second crude flight was also available in an auction. I, this wasn't just on eBay. I assume this is on a very special- <laughs> Not just eBay, yes. Auction platform that I don't know about because yes. I'm not wealthy. It's auctions.space, maybe? I don't know. Someone had purchased another ticket and- they gave it to their son, so Oliver Damon will be flying. Uh, he's 18 years old, so he'll be the youngest person to go to space. Pretty pretty sweet. Uh, that was going um, to be uh, Haley on the uh, SpaceX St. Jude mission, uh, but wow. uh, now, uh, now Oliver's going to have that. Oliver's working on his private pilot license and is going to study physics and innovation management. So very clearly interested in the field. Uh, what a graduation present uh, from your old man, but uh, mm-hmm. pretty cool. And so Oliver will be joining uh, the Bezos brothers and uh, Wally Funk, and they are going to go to space in just a few days. Amazing. So this will be the next one. I, I, you know, good luck to them again. Commercial. It's, it's a commercial, but Blue Origin's not just in the space tourism business. But this is, I don't know, it, it, this is, this is the uh, era we live in now. And some regular, quote unquote, regular people going to space. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. That's fine. Uh, The chat room points out that um, Haley will still be the youngest American uh, in space. So, so Oliver is working on his private pilot license. Does he, you think he comes back and like takes an astronaut pin and lays it down and is like, done. Boom. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, why not? Try to pull that one, see what happens. Uh, so yeah, so NS16 is going to be pretty cool. Uh, the youngest and oldest person, because Wally Funk is 82. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, man. Imagine historic in a lot of ways. The culture clash. The generation gap. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty fun. So uh, yeah, so that'll be next week. We'll be following along with that, of course. Uh, there is one last thing with Blue Origin. It's not really about CEOs in space, but Blue Origin is providing ULA the rocket engine for its upcoming Vulcan rocket, which is scheduled to fly for the first time next year. It's supposed to be this year. The customer had delay, but 
Blue Origin is behind on getting the BE-4 rocket engines, because there's a pair of them on this rocket, uh, getting flight-ready engines to ULA. Yeah. Uh, it's like years late, still behind schedule. Uh, uh, Eric uh, Berger at Ars Technica reported that there is mm. friction inside ULA, that some people are concerned that Blue Origin isn't focusing enough on the BE-4, and some people view things like this NS-16 launch next week as a distraction, and that Blue Origin isn't holding to its word and to its contractual obligation to ULA. There's also the angle that Blue Origin initially said it was not going to bid on government launches against ULA and SpaceX and others, but now they are. They changed their mind a couple years ago about that. And so many people inside ULA feel a a bit betrayed by that and you know having the feeling that well maybe blue origin is like sandbagging them so they can be ready to compete more quickly and you can see why people would would think that but there's definitely this stress here now eric's reporting says that blue origin is not looking to um, or ula is not looking to another vendor they're going to stick with blue origin for the be4 uh, they had looked at uh Aerojet Rocketdyne at some point in the past, but are going to stay the course for now. But uh, some uh, some friction between the two companies. Yeah, I uh, who knows the truth here. I, I there was the denial of all of this too, right? I think the truth is there are probably parts of these uh, of of ULA that are are frustrated by the pace. Um, I I tend not to believe. I don't know anything from the inside here, but. I tend not to believe it when they're like, oh, they're distracted by this other thing. It's like, I don't know. Probably the people working on this engine are not distracted by this other thing, right? They're probably working on the engine. And the delays that they're having are probably space delays, you know, that happen. Because there are delays with space stuff. It's hard. So, but it, it is interesting, though, that this is, they yoked themselves to Blue Origin. They took a shot with this and they're, and now they're frustrated. But I don't know. I mean, it, it, are they betrayed? <laughs> Were they? Are they distracted? Yeah. I don't know. It could have been a bad decision to go with them, sure, but I'm not sure it's more than that. And I don't know. It is space drama, though. So there's that drama among space contractors. The, the is the most. It's the sweetest drama of all. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we see this in the tech world where like people are mad at Apple. Because there's not a new Mac Pro, but it's like, why are you spending money on Apple News? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, there's that's a different right. people. Like, it's different groups. What if you took the writers of Ted Lasso and had them add a USB port to your laptop? What about then? Like, gang, that, different different parts of the company. Although it would be amazing to have an Apple laptop and instead of uh, extra USB ports, there was just a little sticker there that said, believe. So, yeah, I'd love to know where this ends up. I mean, I fully expect we'll see the Vulcan fly next year with the BE4 on it. You know, uh, I don't think it's going to radically change the course of this rocket. This whole story may, may really have been just trying to light a fire a little bit at, yeah. at Blue Origin about this, right? Not, I mean, not literal, like they do that with the rocket design too, but like, no, just to, just a little poke of like, we're unhappy with you. Oh no, no, we didn't say anything, but they got the message perhaps. Yeah, you could definitely kind of see there's some like political stuff going on there with these uh, these reports. So, so yeah, space drama, 
billionaires going to space, Hubble's back, the ISS is doing its thing. That's uh, that's what's going on in space this this fortnight. Ah, uh, boy. And there, there'll be more. I'll pay more attention for the next fortnight since I'll be here. There you go. Well, actually, next time we're going to be talking about Apollo 15. It's true. Special episode in two weeks because we're back up to our 50th anniversary. We've reached July of 1971, and that means Apollo 15. That's that's right. So looking forward to that. Uh, if you haven't checked out our Apollo mission episodes, they're in the feed. A lot of good stuff in there and excited to uh, to get back to it. If you want to uh, check out the stories we spoke about, head on over to relay.fm slash liftoff slash 154. While you're there, you can get in touch. Uh, there's an email link on the side of the page. Uh, while you're on the Relay website, check out Material. If you are into the Google ecosystem, got an Android phone, got a Chromebook, Material's a show for you. It's hosted by Andy and Flo, and they cover the world of Google. So check that out, relay.fm slash material. If you want to find me and Jason online, you can do that. Jason is on Twitter as Snell, and you can find me there as ISMH. And until the next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all.